take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. Uh, a, a lot of you guys, if you were here last week, you know that we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians over the summer, unless we have something special going on. Uh, but we're going to be w- walking through this. I challenge you to take your Bible and kind of follow along and, and take notes and things like that. And we're going to, um, as we go through this book, we're going to be learning what God's called us to be different. Because uh, normal's not working. And I'm not saying that from my perspective. I say that just from the world around us. We know that normal is not working. When I was a youth pastor, uh, my, my job description had a number of things other than just being the youth pastor. Some of the things I didn't fully understand the scope of it, but one of the things that was on my job responsibility is I was going to be the bus director for the transportation ministry of our church. And along with that came that I had to get all of our buses through bus inspection. A lot of you guys know the history and what's involved in that. So we have to take our buses down to a location and they'd have all these state troopers that would investigate it, make sure that it was safe and all that stuff for the kids to be on it. So the the place that we would go down in Lancaster only had one bay. And so I had to line up all of our buses to be kind of staggered out so that when one would pull in, the next one would, that one would leave and the next one could pull in. So I got volunteer drivers that were CDL in the church to drive the buses down there. So I would be the main one. I'd go on the first bus route or the first bus that went down there. And then I would come back on the last one so I could be involved in every one and see what needed to be done. And so I, I'm sitting there and I'm telling the guy, I have one more bus. The state trooper, I said, but I promise you, our, our, they're, they're in good working order. Everything's going well and stuff like that. And he goes, well, I know. He goes, you guys do your best to take care of these buses. He goes, well, where is your bus? I said, I don't know. And, and back then, uh, cell phones weren't as big of a deal way back then. You know, early 2000s, you guys, if you can remember way back. Uh, so I didn't, I, we didn't have, I couldn't call the guy to say, where are you? And so I'm standing down, and it's right off 33, and I keep going out to the road going, man, alive, where are you? You're killing me. And I see way in the distance just this big cloud of black dust or black smoke. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And it's sputtering and popping, doing all these things. He gets close, and he, like, can't even make it inside of there. And I jumped on, I ran out there and jumped on the bus, and I said, dude, what happened? He said, I don't know. He goes, I stopped and got gas and, you know, and I filled it full of diesel. And, and, all that. and I said, dude, it's, it's, it's a gasoline bus. So he goes, I was thinking that after when I was coming down and, and I, I, I'm, I'm like panicking and they're watching me get on this bus and all this stuff. And, and here's the thing, gas doesn't work in diesel and diesel doesn't work in gas. It's not made to function that way. I'll put it like this. It wasn't working right because it wasn't right. Something in it wasn't right. And when things are not right, you can't expect it to go or per, uh, produce or whatever it was made to function to do or, or transport or drive. It's not going to work that way because things are not right. See, the things that we're learning from Scripture and as we're going through this is God has a way that is right. There's a way that works there, there, there's a way that it's meant to function. And when man does it another way and says, well, I don't see it that way. I'm going to do it this way. We have problems and depression and anxiety and none of those things come from God because they're not right. Something's not right. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we, we started off with this, um, this church and he's writing this letter and the church was, I'm not going to re-preach everything that I said, but it was in an area that there was a lot of traffic coming in and out and there was a lot of trade and, and there was a lot of sin. It was, it was basically like a New York City slash Las Vegas 
area, and there, people would come there to party, to drink. They, they would go there for sex. There was temple prostitutes. There was all of this stuff that was there. It was just, it was a nasty place. Paul goes there on his missionary journey. He, he sees people come to know Jesus Christ. God can save anyone. They establish a church because the church is nothing more than call out body of believers. He leaves, and then this family starts writing. He says, oh, dear Paul, things are falling apart. They're a mess. So Paul begins to write this letter back to the church, and he's explaining to the church, hey, guys, this, this is why things are not working. So we have this letter that helps us today. And he says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, just by sake of review, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, of all that are every place that call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now I'm going to give you my first point, because remember last, the last week I said I have, I have more to go, but I cut it off. Number one, we are, we are saved by Jesus. And the reason why I made this point up front is because a lot of times we're looking for people to have life change without heart change. There, there's something that has to transpire in the heart of man that gives them an inward desire to crave that which is right for them to have. And when we have people that never want to do what's right, and they have no desire for spiritual things, they have no desire for the word of God, they have no desire to worship, they have no desire for, they have no conviction, something's wrong. Because the Bible is explaining those, those that are in Christ that God comes to live inside of your life. And you'll see this as we study the subject today. You're going to see this over and over again, that when you're in Christ, in Christ, it's, it's not just... It's not just something that we do on Sunday. It's not religion. It's not an act that we go through. It's a life change. So if you're that person that has no life change, I, I, I step back and ask if you first had heart change. Because everything comes from the heart. But from that, we, we are saved by Jesus. But number two, and this is where we left off. We never got here last week. I just, I just showed you the point, but we never got to talk about it. But we are changed by Jesus. Let me explain this. Oftentimes when the Bible is talking about the heart, and if you ask a little kid, we're doing that with Bible school, what do we say about getting saved? It's like, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Well, what goes in the mind of most kids is if they know anything about, you know, the body or whatever, they're going to point right here, right? Because that's what we know is the heart. But have you ever thought why God uses the illustration of the heart? The heart is the core, it's, it's the pump, it is what feeds everything else, it's the inner man. You can't live without the heart, it's, it's that vital organ, okay, it, it is, it's, it's important to everything. So God was using the, the, the visual of the inside, he says that the very core of man, if you put it, the very heart, the very center of man must be changed by God. And it's, it's the inner person. It's, it's not just a mind change where, oh, I think we should start going to church. It's a heart change that I want to go to church. It's, it's a drawing force. It's, it's a totally different than it was before. So he talks about the inner man. But Paul begins to talk about when there's this drastic change that happens in your life. It's a radical change. It, it's not just a New Year's resolution where I made a decision and I turn over a new leaf. You know what I'm talking about. And then you go right back in two weeks. God's not talking about emotional decision that we make because we get saved. Actually, in 2 Corinthians, when he writes another book, he, he says this in context of the condition of the church. So think about this in context of everything that we studied last week about this church. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
What is he saying when he says this? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, all things die, passed away. He was literally saying for, for Christians to say, well, I, I'm, I mean, I'm different, but I'm not that different. He says, no, 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 let me explain this. He said, you know, the old you, it's dead. The new you is made alive through Jesus Christ. There is a drastic change in your life. So for anybody to say, well, I love Jesus, but I, I mean, there's really nothing different about me. I'm, you've got to ask your question. It's like, wait a minute. What do you mean there's nothing different about you? Jesus totally makes us drastically different. Let, let me show you this in context of our passage. When you get saved, you don't stay the same. And this is how he explained this. Under the church of God, which is in Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, we know the idea of salvation. Salvation is the fact that I had the life change. I, I accepted Jesus Christ to come into my heart. But he says, after you get saved, you, you begin a journey. You begin a relationship. Begin to be changed. We know it like this. We'll tell people that I am a Christian. What does the word Christian mean? It doesn't mean that you go to church. The word Christian means that I'm like Christ or Christ-like. I'm, I'm a follower. It goes all the way back to the disciples when they were followers of Jesus Christ. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He said, follow me. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to literally drop your nets, go in another direction, and take on a whole new way of living. And that's what Jesus was saying. Do you, do you guys understand that there's a whole other way of living that I've called you to? It's, it's not just salvation. It's sanctification. Sanctification follows salvation. But sanctification should be evident in your life. And, and, and you keep growing in it. It's not just a one-time act of what, that you do. It'd be great, you know, if, if you got saved and you stood up and was like, I have no more problems, no more addiction, no more temptation. Okay, that would be great. But I can promise you, everybody that's here would testify, yeah, that didn't happen. I'm still, I still have that old man. The old man is with me. My spirit indeed is willing, but my flesh is weak. You know, all that stuff that we have. But sanctification follows salvation. So let me explain this. He says in verse 2, he said, To them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ. Sanctification comes as a result of being saved, not being religious. It's not something you do, something that God does through you. Because he owns you and he's in you. And if he's in you, he's going to change you. So the word sanctified means to make holy or to purify. It's kind of like this. As you get saved, as you are saved, God begins to change your life to be able to, now that he owns you, he begins to pull the wrong out and put the right in. That's what sanctification is. He begins to transform your life. He, the closer you get to God, the more you become like God. This is, we know this illustration because we talk all the time about salvation is not religion. It's a relationship. You think about a relationship, you, you know, is like, uh, we've been dating for X amount of times. You know, what the following statement says, man, we've gotten really close. Well, what does that mean? You're standing there holding their hand. You know, it's like, well, I know you're close. You're holding in. That's, it's not talking about proximity. It's talking about relation. I mean, we've drawn close. Well, our hearts are knit. We have a lot of things that are the same. There's a lot of things in common. I, I, I think I love this person to the level that I don't want to live without them. I want them part of my life. John Sullivan has been, did, just finished a series on uh, Wednesday night. He's done an outstanding job talking about Leviticus. And the premise of the whole book of Leviticus is they were called to holiness. And holiness looks different. That's the, that was the whole premise of it. Like he goes, when you walk in holiness, 
it's going to be different. And that, that's not saying that we don't struggle with our flesh or whatever, but it means that I'm striving to be like Christ. I'm, I'm walking in a different path than I was before. Uh, even the graphic that we have, it's narrow is the path. And broad is the way that leads under destruction. He's saying, I've got another way for you to live. Sanctified means to be set apart, called out. Sanctified means to be different. He says to this church, he said, guys, I know you're saved. But I'm telling you now, you're also sanctified. You are called to live and walk a different path of God changing, constantly changing your life. There's a different way to lead your family. It's different than it was before. There's a different way for you to relate to people. It's different than it was before. There's, there's a different way to have a marriage. different than way. There's a different way to, to, to date than it was before. I have called you to a different life that's different in every way. It's called sanctification. To visualize this, it's, it's like if you guys ever bought a house and you're going around with the realtor and you walk into a house and, you know, some of the things you're like, I like the location, I, I love the yard, I love the fence, and you go inside and, like, everything's painted yellow. Okay. I remember when we bought one of our houses, they had this purple wall with light purple stamped all over it. You know, it's like, it's like, ah, oh, it looks disgusting. Okay. It was just, it was just gross. And I remember walking through it and me and Jenny talking, being like, that's got to go, you know. And, and the more we walk through the house, you see different things. It had laminate on the floor and the laminate was like peeling up off the floor. It was gross. It was nasty. And just like, man, that doesn't, that doesn't look right. We're like, well, that's going to go. And then we went out to the car and we talk every house that we've ever bought saying, well, I'll tell you, if we buy it, I'll tell you one thing. That's not going to stay and that's not going to be there. And the yellow light bulbs that they have in there. I like it. Does anybody else with me? I, I like the house to be bright. I don't like it looking like a cave. I like light bulbs being on. I like, I like 5,000K. You know, I, I, I like it being bright and open and clean. And, and you, you, when you buy a house, you want to make it look like you. You want to change it. Do you see when God took you in to, to, to transform your life. You know what he's doing? He's making you look like him. Therefore, I was, the Bible talks about being transformed. The Bible talks about being in the likeness of Christ. The Bible talks about being like Christ in every way. He transformed you. 1 Corinthians six nineteen, And we're going to go back and forth a little bit from chapter 1 to chapter 6 because he starts talking about these issues and then he reiterates it in, the, in chapter 6. He says, well, well, let me just pause for a minute and explain this. And we'll go back and hit those things before then. He says the question. He goes, what? So you see how it says that? It's like, what? Question mark? You can imagine Paul being frustrated as he's going through. Maybe he heard all these things saying, what's wrong with it? You know how everybody's like, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? And Paul's like just getting frustrated as he's writing this letter. He goes, what? Know ye not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you and you have, you, you, what you have of God and you are not your own? It's just frustrating. You know why? Because the world, let me just tell you guys, if you're saints of God and you're called by God and you have God in you, I can tell you the, what the God has said because you, he is your creator God. He calls the shots. The world will say this, my body, my choice. God says, his body, his choice. Can I take it a step further? He's literally saying that you have of God, you are not your own. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
You know what's weird about that? In the Old Testament, if they wanted to be in the presence of God, they had to go to a temple. For this kind of glory of God, the tabernacle and the temple and the sacrifices and all those things. The New Testament, when you rent the veil in half, he now says, you are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. You are the temple of God. He said, do you understand that I stepped into your life to transform your life? That is where I reside. So here's something, and if you've been in our church any length of time, you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. People, people will say things like when they're in this building, because we're almost wrapped up in religious mindset, and somebody will say something wrong, and everybody will be like, oh, I can't believe you just said that in church. Or somebody will say a lie or whatever. Did you just lie in church? Can, can I tell you why something a lie would be wrong? It's because it goes against God. It's not because you're in this building with these ceiling fans, light, and brick walls. That doesn't make it right or wrong. It means that you cross a line to go against God. That's what makes it wrong. So here's the thing. If you said that same lie at home or you said it at church, it's equally wrong. But if we have the mindset that we're going to visit God on Sunday and I step into a spiritual bubble to be in his presence, then you don't understand that you are bought with a price. God lives inside of you. You are now the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. You're different. You've been called to be different. You belong to God. Have you ever thought, how, did, how do I know this? How do, how do I know what to do that is right? <clears throat> I'll illustrate this at the end. But it's a matter of, I'm, 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 I want to go on this journey and change my life, but I don't know what steps to take to be able to know what is right in my life and what is wrong. There's a verse that is, is taught in Scripture, Romans 10, 17, that Paul used to explain how we grow in our faith. You know, oftentimes we use this verse when it comes in context to salvation. We'll be like, well, we need to get kids here for Bible school, bring them to camp. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if you ever stop to wonder what is faith, faith is what you believe. I have faith in God. I have faith in prayer. I have faith in the Bible. How do you have that? It's, it's what you believe. Well, how do you get that faith to change your mind or know what you believe or to change your heart? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know why it's so important that you spend time in God's word? Because that's how you move closer to God. Because faith, what I believe, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I change my heart. I change what I believe. I change my perspective of the world and God by what I hear, by what I receive from the word of God. That's how, how, how he's given us. It's, it's faith. He, he changes us from the inside out. Let me keep going. Verse Chapter 6, verse 20. It says, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belongs to God. Do you, you want to know what God is changing in your life? Everything. God wants to change everything. And it can't be sexually speaking, and I know that those are big issues in our culture today, like, oh, I want to go to heaven, and I want God to change me on the inside where I have the peace of God, knowing that I'm not going to hell, but I'm going to do what I want in my body. And he says, whoa, stop. What? The way Paul said it. Your body belongs to God. Your spirit belongs to God. You belong to God. I'm asking the question, what is different about a Christian? He says this, 1 Corinthians 1, 4, we're going to get a little more specific. He says, I thank God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given to you by Jesus Christ. 
that in everything. I don't know any way to put it. He says that in everything you are rich by him in all utterance and all knowledge. In everything. Let me be more specific. I'm talking about being changed by God. Here's what God does when he comes into our lives. And this will make sense to us that are believers. Anybody that's walked that faith of hearing and being transformed by God, God makes us better. Everything that God begins to work in your life of sanctification, I'll begin to say, I need to take that out of your life. God will never ask to pull something out of your life that's good for you. You, you need to understand that because even, even this week at camp, the, the teens are going to hear some messages, maybe something that God's going to say, this is not right. God's never going to say, I want that out of your life if it's good for you. He, he, everything that God has is good and it's edifying and it's a blessing and it helps you and it's, it's good for you. Everything that he has. Back when he was speaking to the church at Corinth, you, you can imagine as they were going back into the bars and they were going back to that sexual lifestyle and they were going back to doing whatever made them feel good at the time. And God was convicting them, saying, no, if you are belonging to God, there's some things that need to be pulled back out of your life, that you are enriched by him. That word enriched by him literally means made rich or indwelled with blessings by God. God wants to take the garbage out that's hurting your life, but to to put the good in your life. That transformation that I'm talking about is called sanctification. Bad out, good in. Every time that you hear the word of God, and faith cometh by hearing, being hearing by the word of God, God is saying, I want to take the bad out, and I have better in. I have so much better for you than what the world can give you. That's what God was talking about. He, he removes that which is causing identity issues, and he riches us by giving us our identity in Christ. He pulls out what is ruining your marriage of that selfish mindset or that selfish attitude. And he puts in love and sacrifice that's going to make your marriage work. He takes out of the teenager that rebellious spirit that makes you miserable. And he puts in peace that only God can give. Everything that he was saying, Paul was saying, man, if you would just get this. He said, do you understand what the working of sanctification does in your life? Is God, every step that you take, God is just simply making your life better. God changes you for the better. So never think. You're battling in your flesh and you're sitting in church and you're sitting there thinking, I don't want to give that up. I'm saying that because we're about to hit chapter after chapter after chapter of things that Paul addresses in the church. And you're going to say, well, I'm not giving that up. You You need to understand that what God has for you is better. Here's the second thing. God makes life work. Or God makes life right. There's a word that is used all through Scripture that I, I think I need to break down. The word is righteousness or the righteous. The root word of righteousness and righteous is the word right. It means God's saying that I don't want unrighteousness in your work, in your life. When he says that, he's saying, I, I don't want you doing things that don't work in your life. I don't want you driving a gasoline bus with diesel in it because it doesn't work. I don't want you having a marriage with bitterness and addictions and everything in your life and expecting to work because it doesn't work. But I I don't want this series to be anything about like, you need to stop, 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 stop. I want to make it about how much God has so much better, better, better for you, not just what's wrong with our lives. God makes life work. Now notice chapter 1, verse 30, as he starts getting into these things. But of him that ye are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom 
and righteousness. And then he goes on to say sanctification and, and redemption. But righteousness, the root word of righteousness literally is the word right, that which works. God has a way that works. Uh, let, let me break this down because I think sometimes we don't fully understand and we, we kind of think, well, I'm okay. Paul begins to just say, I'm going to break this down for you and explain to you what's not working. So in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, the, the other passage that we keep going back and forth in this other passage, he says, know ye not that the unrighteousness, or we could word it like this, know ye not that the things that are not working, that the world calls as normal, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says the words, be not deceived. You know why he says be not deceived? Because he said, I'm going to tell you as I begin to give this list, you're going to say in the culture of Corinth, or we're going to say in the culture of America, Pastor Tony, that just, come on, everybody does that. That's just normal. And we hear that all the time. That's just normal. What do you mean? That, that what you're talking about is weird. Maybe it's time we get weird. Maybe it's time that we become counterculture to understand that God has better for us. He says this. Here's the list. He says, neither fornicators. The word fornicators is the Greek word that means pornos or porno or pornography. It cannot work. It does not work if there's sexual sins all the way from lust. And Jesus said, if you have lust in your eyes, if you lust out, it's not going to work. It doesn't work. And it's become so normal in our society. Sexual sins of any sort, sexual sins that have anything to do with sex out of marriage. He said, or nor idolaters. When we start beginning to put anything before God, adulterers, having sexual relationship with someone other than your spouse, or effeminate, that, that has a double meaning. It means sexual pleasures or feminine uh, tendencies of, of, a, of a guy that's trying to act like a girl. You say, that's not relevant today. That's very relevant in our culture today. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Look up the Greek. The Greek word for that phrase literally is the word homosexuality. Speaks against it as normal, according to Healthline.com. And we, we've normalized these things and say, well, it's working. It's not working. Here's things that I'd love for them to start announcing as we have Pride Month. Around the world, same-sex marriages, especially in the area of men, are 25 times more likely to, ha- uh, to have contract HIV. Why isn't that talked about? If it's so normal and it's so right, things that are right work. And if they're not right, they don't work. It's like sputtering down the street and then people are getting off saying, I don't know what's wrong with this. I don't know why life is so hard. It says, nor thieves, those that, uh, that take what's not theirs, nor coveters, nor drunkards, revilers, those that tear people down, those that abuse people with their words, those that will bully somebody to, to sit there and make themselves feel better, but they tear other people down. Nor extortioners, people that rip people off, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now watch what he says in verse 11. Watch how important this is. This is what he says. He lists all these things that they were battling with in their culture. And he says, and by the way, ye that are saints, such were some of you. Do you know what the word were means? It's no longer who you are. It's no longer who you are. He says that is past tense. So people that are living, that are going to church... And living that lifestyle of still living where I, I'm an habitual liar. And by the way, sometimes we try to categorize sins. I mentioned homosexuality. Did you notice I also mentioned people that rip people down with their words? Or people that steal? 
or, or, or people that are, you know, there are all the different things that are mentioned there. And sometimes we'll like to harp and beat the drum about one certain sin because it bothers us more. God says, maybe you should take the beam out of your own eye before you start pitching a fit about everybody else's sin. That doesn't mean that we water down or we don't take a stand. But I tell you, sin is sin. It's, it's, it's all unholiness. It's all unrighteousness. None of it works. If you're a dad that's constantly beating your family up with your words, but you take a hard stance against homosexuality, you are a hypocrite. You don't, don't justify your sin while saying, well, it's not as bad as that. Well, it's in the list because it goes against God and is not going to work. It says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ, from the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of God. It's no longer who you are. Can I tell you guys, it's not so much about not doing wrong, but the life that God's calling to us is a life that works. He, he, he says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, awake unto righteousness and sin not. He's literally saying, this is what I'm trying to do as he gets to the end of the book. He's saying, I just want you guys to wake up and realize that the track that you're on, it's not working. I want you to wake up. I'm trying to get your pain, your attention so that you can live unto what is right. I, I'll ask you guys this question. If you say, I am saved, praise God for that. I, I want to ask you the question, how are you different from when you first got saved? How are you different than you were five years ago? How are you different than you were six months ago? Because if God's constantly working in your life, he's constantly drawing you closer to him. You know what he's doing? He's progressively working in your life to make you better and to make the things that he's given us in the life work. God changes, but there's a, there's a product that comes out of this. There's a difference that is made. You, you, you are changed by Jesus, but let me show you this. You are now different because of Jesus. It's not just the change of direction. It's not just the transaction in your heart. But what happens now in your life is so different. Let me break this down to you. Here, here's what Jesus was saying. This, this is, that he was talking about giving through sanctification. Verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. Grace be unto you in peace from our God, Father, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given to you by Jesus Christ. He, he, he begins to tell them, he says, you know what God has for you? And, and I, this is so imperative that we understand this principle. Is he said, do you know what God has for you? Do you know the way that you're living? And he lists all those sins. And he says, this is, I'm going to give you something that the world can't give you. And this is what he was doing. God changes us. God sanctifies us. In the progress of sanctification, God gives us peace. The world today is not experiencing peace. If you, if you want to know one thing that is drastically lacking in our world today, it is peace. Do you know what the opposite of peace is? It's anxiety. It is, it the, the opposite of peace is anxiety. When I counsel, when I talk to people, when you guys talk to people, we talk to our kids, we talk to the culture of today, you know is one thing that is frequently repeated? Man, I have so much my anxiety. My anxiety is through the roof. I am, I am so stressed out. I'm so frustrated. Man, I'm so worked up right now. What is that? It's anxiety. Did you guys know that in 2000 or 2020, they did a poll, and 62% of those surveyed explained that they are dealing with some form of anxiety. 62% of our culture. It's, it's, anxiety is just simply an overwhelming feeling of something not being right. 
People today are, are given more prescription for anxiety and that, that has tripled in the last 20 years. Tripled. There's, there's a headline that says that more young adults are receiving prescription for anxiety meds than ever before. And, and this is literally making, they have counseling appointments and counseling appointments. And I'm not downgrading that this is a real thing. I'm just wanting to step back and say, why in a world that God's come to give us peace are we dealing with so much anxiety? And not just in the world, I'm talking about in church. I'm talking about in our schools. I'm talking about in our counseling offices. I'm talking about in our youth groups. Why is anxiety skyrocketing more and more in our culture today? And I, I think that rather than debating with people today that will, will argue like, well, that's not wrong and that's not wrong. And I just stopped all the arguments and I'm going to ask you one simple question to whoever it is. Whether it's an alternate lifestyle or whether you're living in drugs and alcohol or whether you're living with just a bad marriage. I'd ask this question. Do you have peace? Do you have peace? Because the thing is, peace comes when things are right. If things aren't right, there's no peace. Jenny and I could testify to you guys about what it means to have anxiety rise. Have them come in and tell you that your son has a massive cancer mass on his heart. Something's not right. When it's not right, it does something inside of us where there's no stability or whatever because this, this isn't right at all. Something's not right. Can I give you guys the definition of peace? Peace is a quietness. It's a rest. It means to set at one again. It's the opposite of anxiety. It's, we know in our hearts something's wrong. We know something is off. Man, when you're trying to get acceptance by people and you're trying to get edification from social media and people tear you down, you're just something, I don't, I don't know, am I not pretty, am I not smart? If, if you're trying to get edification from a relationship, if you're, if you're trying to get your self-worth by the, the job that you have or the title that you have, you're just thinking, man, I don't know why something is wrong. Because here's the thing, peace does not come from the world. It will never come from the world. And our world is living in this constant state of anxiety and they're not asking the question of what is wrong what is wrong? I, I, I can promise you, even in the culture that we live in, that so many of them say, I'm, 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 I, I sleep around or I do this or I do that. And I, I, I don't know what's wrong, but I just know that something is wrong and they're miserable. They're unhappy and they can't put their finger on what's wrong. Something's wrong. Jesus said this in, in John 14, verse 27. He said this. Think about what Jesus is saying. You know who Jesus was, by the way? He was the prince of peace. You know what he came to do? He came to make the wrongs right. He came to die for sin. He came to bring us justification to make the wrongs right in our lives. And he said in John 14, 27, when he was headed to the cross, you know what he said? Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world giveth, I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you, do you know what he was saying when Jesus was saying that? He said, not as the world gives it, because what the world gives will come and go. You'll have peace in a relationship, but I'll tell you, when the relationship falls, you fall apart. Get the, you get peace from a job, but when the job falls apart, you fall apart. 
and, and nothing that the world has. You know why? Because the Bible describes the world that we live in as sinking sand. But God has called us to establish our life upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ, which never falters or fails. When God makes things right, it gives us peace. I'm asking the question, why, why does it matter? What difference does it make? God has come to give us something through that which is right. When God calls us, says, get rid of that, get rid of that. I don't want it in your life. It's not because he's trying to beat you up. He's literally saying as a mom or a dad, as a teen or as an adult or a grandparent, it's not going to work. It's going to make you miserable and I want it out because I have something better. And what God gives us that is better, he gives us peace. He gives us rest in a way that only he can give it. But let me show you something else that he was describing here that God gives us. God gives us peace, but God also gives us a testimony. You know one of the things that I do if I'm going to buy something? And this is something that I do every single time. I love buying. I'd rather buy something from Amazon than I would anywhere else. And some of you guys are with me and you say, you don't know what you're getting. A lot of times I know what I'm getting, not based on the product itself, but when I click on the five stars at the top and I start reading reviews. When people start saying one after another, this is terrible, it doesn't work, it's, it's, it's a piece of junk, it's, it's don't buy into it, and it has like three stars, I'm not buying it. Actually, when I'm searching for products, and I'll do it and refine the search, oftentimes I'll search for something based on four or five stars. You know why? Because I'm looking for something that somebody testifies and says, I bought that dude, and I can promise you that made a huge difference. People are looking for something that actually works. They want something real and authentic. Paul said to this church, he said that in everything, verse 5, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and knowledge. And what comes from that, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. I promise you at the beginning of this, as God was working, there was a lot of change that was happening in their life. There should be change in your life. But he says it was confirmed in you. There was people that would go to work go to school, go to the jobs, and they were watching and saying, well, wait a minute, John, can I ask you a question? Man, you are so different than you were before. It was confirmed in you. It's a matter of there was something that was coming out of your life that was different than there before. You want to know why a lot of young people, let me just be real with you. You know want to know a lot why a lot of young people will, will grow up in church? And I'm not saying this is always the case, but they'll grow up in church and graduate and want nothing to do with God or church again. And you wonder why? You know, oftentimes it's a lot of it is the fact that they've never seen authentic, real Christianity. They, they come to church and they'll see mom and dad like walk through the door like, hey, everybody, love you guys. Man, God is good, man. Whoa. But then they get home and it's screaming and arguing and bickering and th- throwing out the divorce word. And I don't know why I'm ever married to you. And, and I, I've heard people that say, you, you would never believe this. But when we're home, my mom will drop the F-bomb and she'll get mad at this. And she gets, don't get me wrong. We, we make mistakes. Am I asking anybody to be perfect? But when we act one way and we live out another way, it's hypocritical. Kids that say, I'm not getting married because I watched my parents, they were miserable. And, I, and the, the kids have to talk their parents into getting divorced because you guys are going to kill each other. And I'm just going to ask you, what is missing in that marriage when God called and God says with marriage? You know what he stepped back in Genesis and said? It is what? It's good. It's good. It's meant to be good. And when, when, when we grow up in a house that is not good and we say that it is good, they're scratching their, house, their, their heads saying, why doesn't this match up with what God says? There's a testimony. 
that comes when we start walking the path of righteousness and we take out what is wrong, we put in what is good, the, 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 the world around us, our kids around us begin to step back and say, I, I, I don't know all the doctrinal terms and stuff, but I can tell you I've witnessed in my home and I want what my mom and dad have. Too often our kids are running from it, not running to it. Because in the back of their mind, they're thinking, I know what the Bible says, but I've never actually seen it work. There should be a testimony. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know what a light is? Especially in the darkness, it's something that is distinctly different than what's around it. Are you different enough at work? And I'm not saying weird. I'm not talking about walking around singing Amazing Grace 24-7. I'm, not, I, I'm saying, is there enough character coming out of your life? And I'm, I'm authentic. And by the way, what's coming out of your life should be the fruit of the Spirit because that's what's inside you, which is love and joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith. And the list goes on and on saying what should come out of your life. And I know we mess up. Guys, can we all admit, man, we mess up. Man, we'll lose our temper in front of our kids. We'll, we'll say things we shouldn't say. But you know what Christians do? We turn around and go back to that kid and say, hey, listen, daddy came home irritated. I had a bad day at work and I took it out on you guys. Can I just tell you that I'm sorry that dad did that? Because that was not right. Because even when we do things that are not right, God's given us the instructions how to make it right. And even in the failures that we have, we're still teaching them that you're not always going to do what's right, but we're also teaching them Daddy messes up, and I make it right. And when you mess up, you need to make it right. And they learn by seeing, not just by hearing. This is that the testimony that was confirmed to you. How in the world is, the, is schools and young people that are, are filled with anxiety going to want what we have if we go into school, live in the same life with the same product of anxiety and depression, unless we walk in there different to show them that I have Jesus Christ, that's where I get my identity and that's where I get my satisfaction and I'm not doing that and I'll be boldly to stand up and say that I'm not doing that because I belong to Jesus and I'm going to do what is right because that is what I'm called to do. And from that I get peace, but from that you get a testimony. Paul is finishing this opening up in the letter and he's, he's talking about them with their relationship with God. And it is a relationship. And I just want you to know that sanctification is not something that you just snap your fingers and like, oh, I'm not going to say a prayer and everything just goes away. The same way as a relationship, you don't just snap your fingers and, and you're in love with somebody. But listen to what it says. Being confident, he was writing Church of Philippi, he said, being confident in this very thing, he which began, that begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God continues to work in your life. I'm going to ask Pastor Bryce to come join me on the stage. I, I, I want you to see how God keeps changing you, how God works in your life. And sometimes, if you're like me, I, I, I need a visual of this. So I'm going to, I'm, when, in the book of um, James, chapter 4, verse 8, there, there's a great, cool illustration that draws this all out. He says, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. So I'm going to use Pastor Bryce as an illustration of God in this passage right here, and I'm going to be somebody that, that gets saved, okay? Now, I'm not saying that there's distance between us in the relationship, because when you get saved, let me tell you, you have God in your life. I'm talking about if anybody be in Christ, he's a new creature. I, I have a relationship with God. But just like any kind of relationship, if we're going there, 
It, it, it takes time to get closer to them and it's steps that you take and it's time with them and learning about them. If you were to take somebody and I, I, I had marriage counseling with a couple that's getting ready to be, uh, get married and I asked them the question, I said, why do you want to get married? We're in love. Well, what does that mean? And we started dating and the more we got around each other, the more we realized that there's so many things about them that I fell in love with. How does that happen? A relationship that takes time. See, salvation comes by repentance. It doesn't come by just saying a prayer. If we know what repentance is, it's a change of direction. I was doing things another way, but God got a hold of my heart and I, I repented and I, I'm on another direction now. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God because to be honest, Bryce, and we all know this, when we first get saved, we're probably a lot more like the world than we are like Jesus Christ. You know why? Because that's all I know. What's popular? What feels good? What looks good? What, what, what does everybody else do? What is their standard for dating? What is their standard for this? And we go get drunk after us because that's how I deal with my problems. And then we, we do this and do, you know what I'm saying? Everything came from the world, but now I have a different way of living. There's salvation, but then there's sanctification. Sanctification comes as I draw closer to God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we come to church and let's say we preach on something about removing sin from our lives. I have a choice. You, you, know, you know what the step is? You know what the thing is that we have to learn about sanctification? It happens one step at a time. But you know what that step simply is this? Obedience. It's obedience. God says that's not right. It's never going to be right. You're trying to put gas in a diesel bus or diesel in a gas bus and it's not going to work. So I, want to, I want you to, I want that out of your life. You know that bitterness that you're holding against that church member? You know, you know that anger that you keep displaying at home and you say, well, I, I was just born with a short fuse and I just, I just let people have a piece of my mind. God says, well, that's, that's not who I am. Take it out because it doesn't look anything like me. You know what that is? Boop. It's a step of obedience. Now watch happens. Draw nigh to him. What does he do? He draws nigh to me. Do you know what's cool about that? Do you know it's, it's a relationship? God's never going to reach into your life and be like, you're going to come to the altar and change your life. God doesn't do that. Steps of obedience. Do you know what I get from him that I can't get from the world? Grace and peace. Blessings. You know what grace is, as he opens out with that? Grace is you getting what you don't deserve. But a lot of times we want God to bless us while we continue in our mess. God will not condone your sin. God will not bless your mess. God will bless in the, in the midst of your mess as you turn around and say, God, I need you. And you take steps in there. But you, you sit there and live in the wrong lifestyle and you're living in sin and you just say, God, will you bless this relationship? And God's saying, I can't bless anything. I can't move it forward when you're not doing it right. So we take steps of obedience. And as we take steps of obedience, you and I are doing, we're drawing nigh to him because he's drawing closer to us. And this is what it should be. But a lot of times if we're back over here and you're saying I'm saved or whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you the question, how are you different today than you were six months ago? How are you different today than the day that you got saved? Because you know what we're constantly doing? He that begun a good work will continue into the day of Jesus Christ. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to sit out. But guys, I, I, I have messed up. I have mistakes. I have errors in my life. I know I do. But I constantly want to move forward. Can I finish the verse? 
Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here he begins to explain why the, the, the church and what, what people deal with. Because we want to, on Sunday, we want the peace of God and raise our hands and worship with him. But the double-minded man says, I also want to go back to the bar and do my own thing. I, I want everything that God has. I want that peace because I believe in it. But a double-minded man will also turn around and go back on Friday night to, 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 to hook up with that relationship that you know is ungodly and sinful. You know what the Bible says about a double-minded man? A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The, the whole thing that I'm trying to show you through this is that's where peace comes from. It doesn't come from the world. You'll never find it from the world. It's never. And every time you draw closer to God, as Paul goes chapter one, church, you need to fix this. Steps of obedience. You need to do this. And steps of, he keeps moving closer to us. And he, I get what he has. Thank you, Pastor Bryce. Is God working in your life? You say, why does it matter? Because we have a world without peace. Miserable. I challenge you, change, change your conversation when you're like, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. Whoa, stop, stop. Can I ask you another question? Can you tell me how peace in your life, I mean, are you happy? And I'm not saying it arrogantly, like I'm gonna set you up to prove to you you're wrong. I'm not saying that. But we're authentic Christians. We're trying to help people. Just Can I just ask you, I, I know you've poured your heart out about your boyfriend that you're living with right now. And I know, or you're, uh, you pointed out about this addiction that you have. You pointed out or whatever. Just, can I ask, can I just ask you a question? Do you have peace? Because when you're doing the right things, righteousness brings peace into our lives.